my perception. <coughs> In the past, when I hear about uh, how uh, some centers allow you to take one precept, two precepts, up to five precepts, uh, I, I used to have uh, a bit of reservation about that. Yeah. Because I'm like, but the five precepts is, it comes as a package, you know, it comes as a whole. Yeah. How, how can you reject this and then, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I've been thinking about it on and off. But of late, when people tell me, uh, I cannot, I, I simply can't observe this particular rule. Is it okay for me to still uh, go ahead and observe the five precepts? I will still encourage them. Say, yeah, why not? In the uh, as my my late ordination teacher, he would uh, encourage us, yeah, uh, with respect to the precepts and even the Buddhist vows. You know what he told us? He said, yeah, of course we may not be able to do it 100%, you know, yeah. Uh, but when we observe the precepts or we take up the precepts, uh, we can take it as a, a start to learn the precepts, yeah. To learn the precepts. Which makes sense, you know. Because if you wait until you can observe it 100%, then you take up the precepts. Then what's the point of the precepts? <laughs> The precepts are there precisely because we sometimes cannot do it, or we sometimes get tempted, we sometimes get compelled to do um, things that we are not proud of. We are sometimes compelled by our defilements, our habits, yeah, our habitual tendencies. Yeah. But that's the whole purpose of precepts, not for those who can already do it, it's for those who can, still cannot do it 100%. So, um, good, good that uh, you all try. Yeah? Good that you all try. Good to try to be a Bodhisattva. So, where did we stop last week? Where's the report? Chapter 33, uh, and so far, so far it has been, the first chapter has been about uh, the merits, the benefits, uh, about how, why it is so great to actually cultivate such a mindset, uh, the mindset of a Bodhisattva, to have Bodhicitta. Probably shriver. Yeah. Probably shriver. 
uh, it's kind of like how sometimes, even in Singapore these days, you have uh, weeks without uh, any rain. And if you uh, go past the road, you see that the trees, they lose their luster, you know? It becomes a dull green. Yeah? Uh, not to mention whether it's flowers or not. So, uh, in the past, how many verses? 33 verses. It has been verse after verses describing the benefits yeah, of uh, having bodhicitta. Now, for those of you who have tried the exercise that I've uh, shared with you all, uh, you may find that it is not so easy. Yeah? Uh, but if you persist, then you will find that your the way you relate to others um, would just be transformed. And if there's any form of blessing that we can uh, wish from the Buddha or the Triple Gem, so to speak, uh, it would be this. Yeah. This is a very direct uh, form of blessing and it's consistent. In a way, because it's consistent, it's not a miracle. Miracles are inconsistent. <laughs> yeah. uh, I like what one Venerable, Venerable Tuktum Chojun once said about uh, about miracles. Yeah, she said, uh, miracles happen once in a while, you know, and it's very rare. Yeah. Uh, but we are we like miracles. Uh, we all like miracles? Say yes. yes. Most people like miracles, you know. But miracles are inconsistent. It's inconsistent. Uh, the Buddhist practice is is unlike miracles. Yeah. It's meant to be a consistent uh, form of cultivation. Yeah. So, if you are to nurture this, your, your heart in this way, call it Buddhicitta, call it loving kindness, call it any name you want, yeah. but to slowly, yeah. and most importantly, within your capacity. Okay, yeah, Don't overstretch yourself. Uh, don't try to, uh, while we aspire to be like the Buddha, like the Bodhisattvas, uh, may not be so so good to compare yourself, uh, because you will feel very down. Uh, <laughs> yeah, When you try, when you overreach. Yeah. I have students in the past who have uh, come to me and say, Supo, I tried, but I, uh, I really, you know, I cannot feel that compassion for them. At most, maybe I can, uh, like, not, uh, not to harm that person, or maybe um, I'm not able to have any kind thoughts towards that person yeah, because of what the person has done to me, and so on and so forth. Uh, my suggestion is, do what you can. Yeah, do what you can, and then uh, over time, when you become more. stretch yourself a bit. It is just like going to the gym, you know. Uh, when you first go to the gym, maybe you pick up the 10 kg or 20 kg weights. Yeah. Uh, if I were to ask you to go to the gym and immediately carry 100 kg, can you do that? Maybe a bit impossible or challenging at best. Or maybe if you carry 100 kg, you can do it once and then you lay in bed for two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
But if you were to be too lax and you just go in and you just carry the the weights like hundred gram. <laughs> yeah. Hundred gram is lesser than if you go to NTUC, you know. If you go to NTUC you can't go back home, you, you at least carry a few kg in your hand. Yeah. So uh, it's similar to going to the gym. You you do what you can first and then occasionally, yeah, stretch yourself a bit. Then after stretching yourself for a while, then that becomes the norm. Uh, then you can stretch yourself again. Yeah. Then in this way we grow. Okay. This way we grow. So let's take a So it's not so much that uh, 
uh, oh, you, you disagree uh, with us, then you go to hell. There are many people who disagree with the Buddha. Yeah. In fact, many of our sutras, I cannot emphasize this enough. Yeah. Uh, it is okay to disagree uh, in Buddhism. Yeah. Uh, but you must be reasonable. Uh. Yeah, if you just, <laughs> just shut down your, your, your mind and disagree for the sake of disagree, then that's delusion. Uh. That's ignorance. Why do I highlight this, or often highlight this? Because in the Buddhist tradition, the, we tend to have this culture yeah, that you cannot disagree, yeah, or you cannot ask questions. But this has more to do with the Asian or Chinese culture than anything. So. By contrast, good and virtuous thoughts will ease, will yield abundant fruits in greater measure. Even in adversity, the Bodhisattvas never bring forth evil, only an increasing stream of goodness. So, uh, here there's mention about faith. Somehow lost in the translation. Pure faith. Uh, I've mentioned, have I mentioned to you all about faith, blind faith versus faith? So, uh, in Buddhism, we, we do cultivate faith also. Yeah. In Pali, it's called sadha. Yeah, sadha. Uh, so, I think most of you walk out from the stairs, right? Yeah. If I were to tell you that the leaf is broken, how many of you would believe me? Agree or disagree, actually. 
So if you agree with me, it's based on faith that you have in Sifu. If you disagree with me, without checking, you are deciding based on faith in your own judgment. Both are actually faith. Yeah? Both are actually faith. Those who are unsure, you can say that they have doubts. Huh? Uh, you have doubts either way. <clears throat> now, um, so in Buddhism, we we actually need to have some amount of faith initially. Yeah? Uh, faith in a sense, for example, when you saw the poster, yeah, when you saw the poster, what does the poster say? It says, living, uh, loving, and awakened life. Yeah? Uh, if instead of that, it says, come for class. Would you come for class? Maybe yes, maybe no. Yeah. If we just put, we may attract a different group of people, those who have heard of this commentary before. Yeah. So, when you first see the poster, what was the picture? I think it was an open sky, yeah. uh, very vibrant. What if they use a poster that's like black in color, complete black in color, yeah, and then they put, uh, let's say, bats inside. It looks like a Halloween poster, and then it says, "Come and thanks us, come or you die." Let's say, let's say, I think Bate will not approve the poster. <laughs> as we have a very nice vibrant poster yeah, with the words and so on um, how, how do you know that attending the class will, will allow you to lead a loving and awakened life you don't know isn't it yeah, because you haven't attended the class you wouldn't know so simply through the poster or maybe because you saw my hey, is my face back yes. no, uh, no no yes for this one, yes, yeah, yeah, that's a small write-up. Uh, write maybe you saw the introduction, yeah, or maybe you have attended my class before, uh, so you have faith that okay, you'll be, you, uh, you will help you in that general direction. Yeah. But what if after you attend the first lesson and the first lesson, Sufu just go on and on about the stock exchange uh, about uh, market prices and then next few weeks talking about uh, Hillary and Trump <laughs> then would you still continue attending? Yes. Yeah, you will still attend uh. <laughs> you're crazy uh. <laughs> you should not attend uh. if one day I really do that you should maybe come and talk to me privately and say Sufu you, uh, something wrong you know? <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah, you better ask Sifu, are you okay? When I say, how are you today? You should ask me, Sifu, how are you today? <laughs> so, in Buddhism, when we have faith initially, it is very helpful because it gets us started. Yeah? If you look at many of the suttas, the Nikayas, he would say, uh, there was one time the Buddha, let's say, was at Kosala. Yeah? Uh, then, there was, um, there was the, let's say, Kalamas. And the Kalamas said, ah, uh, that Kalamas heard, ah, there's this, there's this ascetic, this, uh, this uh, monk uh, who goes by the name uh, Gotama. 
And this is this has been said about him, uh, that he is a blessed one, he is a noble one, he is a knower of the world, he is a teacher of gods and men, he you know, and so on and so forth. Yeah. This this verse is basically what we recite in Itiso Bhagava Araham. This is actually the verse. So in the past, when the Buddha uh, was teaching, uh, people don't simply assume that he's the Buddha the way we relate to Buddha today. They just hear. Because there's no internet, they cannot go online and look at Wikipedia, you know. Yeah? Uh, they cannot go on YouTube and look at the videos or so. So they only heard, ah, the Buddha is said to be like that, you know. Uh, so uh, many people, after hearing some reports about him, would would suggest, hey, why don't we go and um, see him and see whether he's, you know, in today's lingo, worth his worth the sort. Yeah? Yeah, let's go and talk to him and ask him some questions and find out whether he can uh, give us a, a good answer. So, based on what they have heard, they have that bit of faith. Yeah? That is what allows them to even get started. Yeah? So, in, in Buddhism, that initial faith is very crucial. Yeah. But we don't say that you just hold on to that and you know, bring it home. Yeah. You start off with that, and in the, in the example of how uh, people used to do it, they would then go to see the Buddha and ask him questions. Whether it's questions about what has been said by him, or questions about their life. Yeah, questions about their life. Uh, and through the exchanges, some of them would then increase in that faith and conviction. They say, yeah, wow, it is true. Uh, yeah, what has been said about this ascetic Gautama is true. He is indeed the Buddha, an awakened one. Yeah. I, you, you see in the suttas, there's nowhere that says ah, he's, he, he, that he is the, the Buddha. But instead, referring to him, his family name, Gautama, ascetic Gautama, that he is indeed the Buddha, a Buddha, and so on. So, beyond the initial faith, uh, we need to learn the teachings, practice, and ultimately verify for ourselves in various ways. Then, that faith becomes a conviction that is grounded in our own experience, and that is grounded in our own experience. So, so uh, when we say Jing Sing in Buddhism, Jing uh, means that the faith is not the initial type. Yeah? It's not the initial type. It has reached the point of uh, what we call purified faith, meaning that uh, the person should have reached a certain level of uh, awakening. Then the, the fruits, wow, is, uh, is incomparable. Huh? Uh, if a person has reached this point, you know, faith in the path, faith in the practice and so on, then even if you encounter difficulties, you don't give up so easily. I have, uh, I have met devotees, Buddhists. Uh, they can be very devoted, hence the term devotee, you know, those who are devoted. So 
they can go to the temple every week or every two weeks to, or they, they can even do chanting better than Sifu. Uh, but if they encounter some difficulty, uh, I think the faith is more easily shattered and shaken. Yeah. Uh, one family, when they uh, when one of the family member uh, this this happened many years ago. Yeah. Uh, every now and then I encounter. Uh, one of the major things that really um, get to us is sickness. Yeah, is sickness. Uh, the father of this family fell sick. Uh, went to see the doctor. The doctor did all the checks. Okay, everything okay. Yeah. But every every evening, whenever the sun has set, evening time, then fever. Yeah. Uh, so what happened? Uh, the family comes to or uh, then bring the father uh, to see this person, see that person, yeah, even all over the place. Uh, my response back then maybe was a bit harsh. Huh? <laughs> I questioned the family. Are you still Buddhist? <laughs> uh, I'm not suggesting that today I would tell people, yeah, go ahead and try all over the place. But maybe I would not put it so harshly across. Yeah. Because today I think um, I can perhaps appreciate the, the, the struggle. Yeah. I can perhaps appreciate better that um, not easy yeah, for for family members to see uh, one's father or mother yeah, uh, suffering in pain. Not easy. Uh, but if a person has uh, reached a point where it's a very strong conviction, uh, it wouldn't then uh, it wouldn't falter and then try this, try that, try this, try that. Even in the face of difficulties, challenges, and adversity, you do not then resort to uh, wrongdoing. You do not resort to wrongdoing. I've been counseling this family. Uh, their business overseas is really in the wrongs. Now, after after about I don't know six months or is it been six months six months or eight months uh, the yeah, the latest news is that yeah the the, the government or the how do you call it debtors yeah, those who the, they owe the money it has really found the, the court proceedings. Some people are surprised, like, oh, how come your, your counselling can take so long? Huh? Uh, usually I thought counselling should just, you know, be over in a short while. <laughs> Maybe because you're, you're not counselled by Buddha. Counselled by Buddha one time got it. <laughs> this mark is not so effective. Huh? <laughs> uh, but jokes aside, yeah, this family is going through much difficulty. Yeah, because the court order and from the from the country yeah, has been found and then uh, in the country has been found and then another country uh, the, the, the vendor and contractors are also uh, going to file some uh, proceeds uh, yeah. but uh, I'm 
very touched actually. Sometimes I'm, I'm more touched by them than anything, you know. How they actually face their difficulties. Because um, at the earlier stage, it's still, you know, questionable how you go. So I shared with them about something similar to this, about how uh, the difference between uh, a Buddhist actually practices and not is that when it when you are faced with difficulties you still stay the course you don't resort to shortcuts you don't you don't in the heat of the moment or the under pressure then resort to some wrongdoings uh, yeah, so uh, today they have been sharing with me how yeah it's very very tempting just, you know, before anything is found, just, you know, sell off everything and then after you say, oh, close shop. <laughs> what you want to do? You know? Then, so they, they actually just try try and persist and, and yeah. so now they have to face the, the, the proceedings also. Uh, and this is this is the thing that I've been highlighting in many classes. Uh, when, we, when we learn Buddhism, uh, the Buddha did highlight that if you have to practice this and that, then uh, you, you will overcome uh, sickness, you will overcome poverty, and so on and so forth. Uh, but so then people people have question marks uh, when they encounter uh, difficulties in their life, whether it is sickness or fortune and so on. Some people have questions, especially so when they see the venerables fall sick. Uh, yeah. And then, then they will sometimes have this funny idea, hey, Sufu, this Sufu never practice uh, fall sick. Uh. <coughs> uh, but again, I, as I highlighted to uh, some of you all recently, uh, sickness can happen even without uh, past karma influence. Whether it's germs or virus or, or the way uh, we our present our present circumstances. So in the case of a person who is uh, on the path and has reached the point where we call it Ting Sing, purified faith, then even when such a person encounters difficulties, uh, he will continue to cultivate wholesomeness and not give rise to any evil and wholesomeness. Not easy, huh? Uh, and, and of course, not suggesting that any of us would go and do evil things. But even to uh, to harbor or to retaliate with anger, uh, with, with uh, resentment, uh, that counts as well. That counts as the face of difficulties uh, is not uncommon. Yeah, people will <coughs> at least express resentment or anger and so on. Yeah, that is also even. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not easy. Huh? <laughs> oh, it's a scientific thing. 
if you really cannot take it, then you know, like, oh, sometimes I'm still going to drink talk, and just, you know. Uh, it, again, I, I say that, yeah, it's, I, I find that, yeah, it's understandable, you know. Uh, if, you are, if you have to face some, some unreasonable people, you feel frustrated, you know, or, or unwarranted, un, unreasonable circumstances. Of course, we'll feel like, why is this happening? Yeah. But uh, the question is, uh, when you express anger and frustration, does it solve the problem? Yeah. Does it solve the problem? In fact, it, now you have two problems. The original problem and your anger. here I must share with you all one more exercise to do. Don't be afraid of your anger or angry with your anger. If you get angry with yourself for being angry, now you have three problems. <laughs> your original problem, your anger, and the anger towards your anger, yourself. Huh? So instead, uh, from today until next week, uh, keep a lookout for your, for your anger. When it arrives, the opportunity to observe yourself yeah? and try and see whether you can snap out of it as quickly as you can. When anger arises or frustration arises, observe your physical body, observe what you are doing, observe the state of your mind and observe your thoughts. that, yeah, okay, there is anger arising, but you do not always have to go along with it. You do not always have to act upon it as well. Yeah. You don't have to. If you can do that, uh, then you are, you, you can become like this. Yeah. When you first read it, it seems like some magical uh, process, you know, or you have the bodhicitta, then everything is okay. But it's not. It is that the person has reached this state of cultivation, so even in difficulties, he is able to, be, to, to remain steadfast. Uh, oh, this is so beautiful. To them in whom this precious secret mind is born, to them I bow. I go for refuge in that source of happiness that brings its very enemies to perfect peace. So, this says, Haran Sen again, this, this Sikha, or precious secret mind, this is referring to Bodhicitta. Bodhicitta is different from the usual unenlightened kind of heart or mind in that uh, the unenlightened heart is self-cherishing. Cherish the self. Yeah. Whereas this bodhicitta is not self-cherishing, yeah, but cherishes uh, 
all sentient beings. Now, um, to this, to such a person with such kind of mindset, uh, this will refer to whoever is reading, okay, uh, or referring to the to those who are practicing this path. So, uh, to such a person, I bow down. So in a way, today when we do our puja, it is like a ritual. Uh, yeah, either you hear a bell or instructions given, then you do the prostration. Yeah. But in fact, it is that when you consider ah, what this, this image or this statue or this person represents, to that, this, this precious, beautiful mindset, yeah, or aspirations, you you venerate, you bow down to such an entity. So it's not so much a ritual, or you know, although it's oftentimes done that way, yeah. But the the way it was originally done is is a form of veneration towards something that is uh, precious, that is uh, worthy of veneration. And why? Because of whatever we have shared so far. Yeah. That someone who has this kind of mindset is of such benefit yeah, to all sentient beings. To what extent? If you have bodhicitta, uh, it is not just to help sentient beings, but even the enemies, those who are enemies to that bodhisattva, the bodhisattva wish for them to well, wish for them to be happy. Well, this this is a difficult exercise, huh? <laughs> You bring to mind someone who have harmed you or someone who don't like you. Maybe you, you don't. Uh, the the maybe the first level exercise is. Someone who don't like you, but you're okay with them. Yeah. So every time you see that person, that person. <laughs> I'll give you the long face. Uh. Yeah. Or, you know, you go for a meeting or you have a gathering and the person say hello to everybody, but don't say hello to you. <laughs> yeah. Imagine, uh, imagine if Sifu come from class, right? Yeah. Then, then I just keep talking to, let's say, my, uh, my, my mama, or let's say anybody, and then let's say some of you, I don't maintain your contact, I just... I <laughs> 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 just say, oh, how do you feel? And now we say, let's say for a start, someone like that, to still encounter such a person, yeah, to, to bring that person to mind, and to really wish for that person to be well. And just in the mind, not so easy. Huh? And what if we say, someone that you yourself dislike, not just that that person dislike you, but you dislike that person also. You consider that person to be your enemy. Then you must say, ah, this person be well. Uh, and in the classes, I would give this, uh, this instruction saying, Visualize that person smiling. Uh, if you can do it once, do it twice, do it regularly, 
and while you are visualizing that person smiling, I think it's not so easy for you not to be smiling. Try this exercise now, okay? Think of, uh, can you remember the last time you got upset? Can you remember? Can I? Now, bring to mind, okay, bring to mind. Really bring to mind, okay, okay, uh, look at me, smile, smile. <laughs> bring to mind, and then try to smile while thinking about that incident. Okay, try to smile while thinking about that incident. Not just about the looks, it's about someone who actually can uh, 
reached a point uh, in the practice of bodhicitta that the person can uh, not just wish but cause the enemies to have happiness to actively take steps to help the enemies be happy now um, in such a person it's in this quality in this mind uh, that the bodhisattva would take refuge So this is this is interesting. Usually when you talk about refuge, you think about Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. And oftentimes for many people, taking refuge is a ritual and it is some it is a black box, huh? yeah, you just take refuge and then bobby bobby. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> but in fact, here when we say take refuge, here is taking refuge in Bodhicitta. The source of happiness, in this case, bodhicitta, the practice. Uh, if you, uh, how many of you have taken refuge? How many of you have not taken refuge? Or also about half half? Uh, taking refuge. Many years ago, at in the Buddhist meditation uh, class. A student asked me, is there a need, whether there's a need to go through the ceremony? Uh, and, uh, and the person then said, uh, that he, he feels that uh, it's not so necessary. Since he's already learning the Dharma and practicing and he observed the precepts, yeah. Uh, you don't see the point. So I asked him, so is there a difference? And in fact, I asked this question to many people before. So I asked, is there a difference between going through the ceremony and no, not going for a ceremony for you? And the person said, no. And that's why you don't see the point. And I said, well, if there's no difference, then why are you not going? <laughs> so seems like there's a difference, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm not suggesting that everybody who attend Dharma classes or uh, like is a compulsory thing. Yeah, it's not a compulsory thing uh, because taking refuge is really. Uh, if you look at how taking refuge was done in the Buddha's time. Uh, continuing from what I mentioned about how they hear about the Buddha and they go to talk to the Buddha uh, for many of them the, the end of the conversation is where they will take refuge and this is how in the beginning in the, in the early days in the Buddha's time uh, refuge taking actually arise from wisdom so when they first hear about the Buddha and his disciples uh, then there's faith in what is heard. But after meeting the Buddha or his disciples and asking questions, yeah, or hearing the dialogue between the Buddha and someone who asks questions, uh, they would have confidence that, oh, this, this, this monk, this ascetic is <laughs> oh, quite good. Uh, then they would basically ask the Buddha, uh, may, the, may the Blessed One take, consider me 
as a lay disciple from this moment until the end of my life. And the Buddha would uh, agree in silence. Yeah. Uh, in the past, in the Buddha's time, uh, making that proclamation, basically is, is it, you know, there's no ceremony, nothing. Yeah. Uh, sometimes they meet the Buddha's disciple and not the Buddha himself. And they want to take refuge in that monk or nun. And the disciples will say, no, 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 I have my own teacher. Why don't you take refuge in him? And they will ask, like, where is the Buddha? Yeah. Uh, it's in the west or in the east. Then they will face the direction. They will kneel down, adjust their robes. Because even for for the uh, lay people, they wear one piece of cloth, you know. So they adjust and bear their right shoulder. And they will kneel down with the right knee on the ground. And in salutation, they will recite Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambhudasa. They recite that three times and that's it. That's it. That's an example. So, uh, this is not an end, yeah? By taking refuge is the start. By taking refuge in the Buddha, his teachings, and the Sangha, this basically uh, not so much accepting, but uh, making a, a decision to take the Buddha as the teacher yeah, and to consider his teachings uh, as something that they want to try out. Yeah. They want to explore further and practice accordingly. Yeah. In this case, to take refuge in Buddhicitta uh, would mean that uh, to start cultivating it that way. If you look at the uh, sub-commentary this sub-commentary you'll find that uh, the Rinpoche, the Venerable actually mentioned two reasons why uh, people go for refuge one is out of faith second for fear of the uh, lower realms uh, I don't completely agree with that huh? <laughs> yeah, I don't completely agree with that um, but perhaps it's the way it is being phrased. Okay? Uh, when we say fear of the lower realms, uh, it can be purely out of uh, you know dogma, uh, kind of fear. Uh, if I don't take refuge, I will go to hell. Uh, no. Uh, but it can also be that having learned the teachings, you are fearful of of um, of doing wrong again. You are fearful of harming others. You know that there are consequences that are very real, yeah, that if you do, if you do not uh, manage your defilements or, or cultivate, then instead of being of help to others, you may bring harm to others. Yeah. And it, to me, there should be this element as well. Yeah. Uh, when we say take refuge, refuge from what? Refuge from how defilements are. Refuge is the triple gem to shield us from our defilements, to protect us from doing wrong again. So, uh, this would, uh, this verse would end uh, this first chapter. Yeah? Uh, the whole chapter espouses the qualities of Bodhicitta. Yeah. Um, and as I've Repeatedly, 
uh, try what you can. Uh, and if you feel that it's very overwhelming to consider, wow, Bodhicitta, you know, I'm not, I'm not quite there yet as a Bodhisattva, it's okay. Yeah. Just look around yourself and consider, how can I be of benefit to people around me yeah, for a start? The next chapter, the English translation is actually compassion and compassion. To the Buddhas, those tasks on, and to the secret law, immaculate, supreme, and rare, and to the Buddhas' offspring, oceans of good qualities, that I might gain this precious attitude, I make a perfect offering. So, uh, chapter 2 starts off with this verse, uh, in doing offering. So, this this can be seen as the uh, start of the sixth perfection, the perfection of giving. Uh, To the Buddha's task, those tasks gone, uh, this is a translation of the word Rulai. In in Pali or Sanskrit, it is Tathagata. Uh, the proper English translation, uh, there are a few different translations. Some would translate as well gone one or uh, has gone one. Wei-chi-zhen-dao-sing. Uh, this zhen-dao-sing again refers to uh, bodhicitta. Yeah. For the sake of cultivating this bodhicitta, uh, I start off uh, by doing offering to the Buddha. But here, when we, we say offering to the Buddha, uh, it's not bringing uh, five oranges and five <laughs> apples and so on. Uh. Yeah. It is offering of what? The taint tree. Uh, when we compare the Chinese translation and the English translation, uh, I sometimes wonder. <laughs> yeah, but it's describing the Dharma. Yeah, here it, it, it uses the word secret law, but uh, it's basically referring to the Dharma, the teachings. Okay? The wondrous, uh, taint free Dharma uh, gem. Yeah. And the next one, yeah. So, Fuozi. Literally translated as Buddha's offspring, basically refers to the disciples of the Buddha. The disciples of the Buddha. Uh, What about them? The disciples of the Buddha have merits like the ocean. Uh, In this case, who who are the Buddha's disciples? The person who is saying these verses. person who is saying these verses. So, um, if you were to recite this verse, 
or we practice accordingly, then who does it refer to? Refer to ourselves. Uh. Yeah. You, you cannot go and offer Shanti Deva's marriage. Uh. <laughs> Shanti Deva's marriage is not yourself, you go and offer. If you want to offer Shanti Deva's marriage, then you can offer Buddha's marriage to Buddha. Cannot. Yeah. Uh, sometimes students, uh, when they are going overseas, or sometimes they ask me, Sufu, do you need anything? Yeah. Uh, when they go overseas, then I will tell them, uh, sometimes I will tease them, I will say, Ken, uh, uh, get this for me. Uh, N-I-R-D-A-N-A. Nirvana. <laughs> yeah. Enlightenment, in other words. Yeah. If you can find enlightenment, get it for me. Yeah. Uh, then sometimes I will tell them, uh, every day give me half an hour of your time. Yeah. Half an hour of your time. And do some practices and offer that to me. Yeah. Yeah, so when I re- read this, I'm like, ah, yes, I make the correct request. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, uh, uh, if, if you offer me food, of course, I suppose also need to eat. Huh? Yeah. But if, let's say, let's say, okay, if for one day, uh, your, all of you choose to not offer me food, then I go hungry that day, uh, let's say. Uh, I, I sincerely say, yeah, I would choose that you, you all do one day of, of practice and offer that to me. Yeah, don't offer me food. Yeah, I don't mind going hungry. <laughs> if, if you all were to do the practice and offer, do the offering of your practice, yeah, it will bring me much more joy than if you bring me food. But of course, compared to not bring me anything, uh, bring me tummy food also. <laughs> So, uh, in this case, uh, the offering of the Dharma and the cultivation. Yeah. Uh, this part is actually uh, very meaningful because we, uh, we may think, ah, uh, how, how do I do offering to the Triple Gem? Last time I, I saw in my family, they go and get the, the seven, seven gems, uh, the different kind of stones and whatever. So one day I came back, I saw them there, I asked, I asked like, what is this? Then uh, uh, someone explained to me, oh, this is the seven gems and so on. So I look at it there, I, I look at my family, I'm like, why do you offer this? Before you learn the Dharma, do you look at this as gem? It's not jam to you. Uh. <laughs> You're offering something. You, you say there is seven jam, but you don't think there is seven jam. Uh. <laughs> yeah. If you if you really want to say offer something that is a jam, it must really be precious to you. So I told told told, told someone that yeah, you want to offer take your diamond ring and put it on the ornament. <laughs> yeah, take your jewelry and really put it there. And don't don't use it to ornament yourself. Not that the Buddha needed it, but it is about, okay, how do you relate to things? 
pressures. But here, two things to highlight. One, it is not offering of worldly things. Okay? The first one is the Dharma, the second one is the cultivation of the Dharma. Yeah, the merits. Second, uh, the intent of doing the offering. Uh, this is something that is also perhaps not so common for many people. But maybe for you all it's common. Huh? That this person would offer not in order to have worldly uh, benefits, not to have uh, fortune and wealth and so on, but for what? In order to maintain, to sustain, to uphold Bodhicitta. In other words, can you imagine when you do dana, when you do charity, when you do anything that is good, in your mind you think, ah, let me do all this in order to do what? To cultivate Bodhicitta, which again is to help others. So can you imagine a person who is in this mindset? When you do offering, and this is just the opening, huh? all the practices for Buddhist all the merits dedicated towards Bodhicitta, which in turn is again to help sending. When I was much younger, I would attend puja sessions with uh, my mom evening, yeah, uh, in temples. And one of them is fast path walk. Yeah, I recall last time at Wuhan, we ever attended, and also in Telugu realm. And there's this part, uh, the initial part, uh, where you recite all the names, and after that, uh, there's one section that goes, and so on and so forth. But then after that, uh, this part is all about the different wrongdoings that we have done to repent and to... When we say repent, it is uh, sometimes a bit misconstrued also. But it's really to, to, to be convicted, to say, yeah, I see that this is wrong, I will not do it again. Yeah. But after that, there's this part on dedication, which all these years I, I recite, but never quite click, you know. Then there's this part, Soyo Sankan, Itie Zongti, Itwan Vala, up to what? Up to when you offer even just one handful of food. <laughs> yeah. That even, that means the, from the greatest merits to the most minute merit. Yeah. All this, what you dedicate towards sentient beings. Uh, this is the mindset of Buddhicitta. Yeah, so in, in this way, this verse, yeah, on the surface, it seems like, okay, just do offering. Yeah. But here, it differs in these two main aspects. One, uh, it starts off with offering of the Dharma and the merits. Two, it is not for worldly gains, yeah, but for Buddhicitta. Below then uh, comes in the offering of worldly things, yeah. uh, such as Xianhua Yu Zhen Guo, Zhong Zhong Zhu Liang Yao, Sijian Zhen Bao Here is Sijian Zhen Bao. Earlier on is Dharma. Okay. Uh, Yue Yi, uh, it's a small. 
沉沉沉静水，愿意沉静水。I offer every fruit and flower, and every kind of healing medicine, and all the precious things the world affords, with all pure waters of refreshments. So, starts off with the offering of dharma, then the worldly things, material things. Uh, material things required. Uh, in the Buddha's time, he also received food, received water, received robes. Uh, he received the four requisites also. Uh, doesn't mean that uh, material things are not important, uh, but in terms of giving, in terms of give, uh, the Dharma is supreme. It's the Dharma is supreme. Uh, years back, when there was a Sichuan Da Dizen, the Sichuan earthquake, uh, I have a student. Uh, he came to see me with his girlfriend, now wife, with kids. Uh, the wife is a Chinese PRC from Sichuan. She is from Sichuan. And so when there was a Sichuan Da Dizen, then uh, that was around the time that she got. Uh, Know my, know my student for a while and so when they came to see me that was maybe the second time uh, I think second time first time I was in the office and so then she was very curious she said um, if you if you did not ordain you would have more, much more resources to help like now there's an earthquake you can actually help um now that you ordain, you have nothing. How are you going to help? So I, I thought about it and said, yeah, that, that seems to be quite true also. But I told her, I told her, I said, um, if I didn't ordain, then it's mainly just myself doing it. But now that I ordain, I can rouse even more people to do. But even more importantly, um, when there's an earthquake, a tsunami, whether literally or the economic tsunami, uh, of course it's helpful when we chip in to help alleviate their, their, their difficulties. Uh, but I asked her this, I said, um, today when they lose their house, you build them a house, they are happy. But before they lose their house, are they happy? While they lose their house, they lose their job, they lose their family, in that process, uh, there are those who, when they are faced with difficulties mentioned earlier, then they may, they may out of um, desperation, do things that is harmful to others. The beauty of Buddhism is, yes, we also encourage charity, but the Dharma reaches deeper insight, such that Okay, when you have uh, difficulties in your life, you can render help. But with the Dharma, then even in the face of the difficulty, we can still be at, at peace. Uh, to me, that is even more crucial. Because you give, if you find a person a job, you find a person a house, uh, can you guarantee that you, cannot, you will not lose the house? 
but I don't say that helping the person materially is not useful. It is useful, yeah, but incomplete. Yeah, incomplete. Uh, if you can, uh, if you can nourish your heart with the dharma, then with or without bread, uh, you can still be happy. So that while you are searching for the next meal, you do not harm others in the process. You can search for the next meal happily. <laughs> Why not? Better, right? Yeah. Of course, there are those who interpret Buddhism and then say, yeah, let's just remain hungry happy. <laughs> Since you are happy, then <laughs> just be, be hungry. Huh? I don't think we should be hungry. So, second level offering. And even this second level offering is still based on that first intent. Yeah? To cultivate Buddhichita. Wei Wei Zhen Bao San Jing Mi Yi Ren Ling Hua Yan Miao Bao Su Zhen Guo Cui Zhi Su Every mountain, rich and filled with jewels, all sweet and lonely forest groves, the trees of heaven garlanded with blossom and branches heavy laden with bare fruit. So this Wei Wei, uh, Wei Wei, Wei Wei, Wei Wei Zhen uh, it means very, not, 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 this type of, Kitimahyu cannot be called Wei Wei. <laughs> yeah. it, it, this means very towering, very high. No? Yeah. So, what kind of mountain is this? Uh, no, no, Wei Wei. Wei Wei. For someone to be able to crack this kind of joke must be quite intelligent. <laughs> but it's just that the intelligence is not used in the right direction. <laughs> so, so here, um, the first level, Dharma, okay, in a way it's doable. Second level, uh, ordinary things, yeah. Third level, wow. Not to mention a towering uh, mountain uh, of gems, okay? Uh, just Bukitima Hill. Can you offer a Bukitima Hill made of precious gem? Can or not? Let's make it easier. La. Let's not even talk about gem. Copper Hill. Just copper. Copper is cheaper than gem. Yeah? Can you offer a mountain, not mountain, uh, Bukitima Hill? That means solid copper. Wow. So imagine the descriptions given. Uh, so how? After this lesson, we can stop, huh? Because none of us can do this. <laughs> Even Sifu cannot do this. Huh? How to offer a mountain, towering mountain at that, of precious stones, yeah, precious gem. Yeah, it's not possible. Uh, many times in the in in this case, huh, it is the mindset that you are willing to offer if you can even offer that then much much more uh, other things yeah. so it's really about cultivating this mindset that 
in comparison with uh, all this, the bodhicitta is even more precious. Yeah, this is trying to say this. So when we do the practice of giving, uh, it is really to <laughs> to practice this mindset, you know, to consider worthy things, material things, not so, you know, not so important, not so important. It is helpful, it is useful, yeah, but not so important. Not so important. Jenna, stop reading the text, please. That's a good point. When I first saw the, and then I read the verses, like, hey, <laughs> like, there seems to be a disconnect. But as we go, you will see. translation again is quite interesting all sweet and lonely forests uh, there's a difference between being alone versus being lonely you can be alone but not feel lonely but you can be with many people but feel lonely if you don't feel connected with anyone you can be in New York Times Square and you feel and sometimes it's worse you know it's worse when you are in like let's say the company D&D &D, you know uh, and uh, or some major gathering where there's so many people laughing you know like hey 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 and then sometimes people feel even lonelier in the midst of all this bars and noise here it's different uh, so offering of the mountains of treasures and also these uh, places of quietude uh, in this case offering this to the Buddha uh, is considered a giver if you offer this to someone who would like to party then this is not a gift yeah, this is a torture so from the mountain to the trees to the uh, and even the fruits so all aspects all aspects actually the whole mountain is made of gems yeah, so this from uh, the mountain and so on then uh, the fragrance the description is the, 
perfume fragrance of the realms of gods and men. Uh, but from the Chinese text, it don't seem to mention about gods. Uh, yeah, it's talking about worthy, yeah, that the most supreme uh, incense, if you will, yeah, in the world. Uh, this Zhongjia is uh, referring to the Tianyan, Tianyan, the cross, the, the plant plantation. Uh, all the precious ornaments. Whatever you can think of, offer. If this verses, if Venerable uh, Santideva was is writing this today, then you will say, Sijian uh, uh, iPhone 4, or <laughs> Samsung G, uh, or something, or for everything. Lianhua Zhu Hu Po, Yue Ling, Yue Ling, Mei Tian Er. Now, from all kinds of items, now including the legs, legs and mirrors. The mirrors are actually uh, like small, small points. Hao Han Shi Kong So, legs and mirrors adorned with lotuses, all painted with the sweet voiced cries of water birds. The last, the last phrase here is interesting. So in Buddhism, there's this term called and another term meaning those that has ownership and those without ownership. So things that belong to people yeah, specifically and those that um, do not belong to anyone in particular. Yeah. Here, that means all those that don't belong to anybody, yeah, in your mind you offer it to the Buddha. Uh, in the sub-commentary, it highlights about uh, it highlights uh, that when we do offering, uh, that's a, a way to actually do offering, which is to do visualization. Do visualization. So, um, think of a thing that you have been through before. Uh, let's say, whether it's in Singapore or overseas on a tour, and it's a very beautiful scenery. Yeah. Can you all think of that? So, if you bring to mind this beautiful scenery, yeah, you can, in your mind, do this offering of this experience of that scenery. And then with a very pure intent, offer it to the Buddha or the Dharma and the Sangha. So in the supplementary it says uh, offering can be done this way also. Huh? You do this every day. Huh? You do this daily. You mean read through all this verses? Uh, every time when I do, uh, like, actually, I, I sometimes feel quite bad uh, because, like, I do it, but I don't tell you all the full, you know, like, when we do 
even sometimes when when we are, when I open up the snacks for you to eat, when we do the gong here, right? Uh, there's a visualization that I actually do. Yeah, so I first look at the items that we are offering and capture a mental image, and then in my mind multiply it infinitely. Yeah. Uh, I first learned this when I became a monk, uh, and we have something called chu So chu is where uh, prior to our meal we do a puja, and the puja entails offering to the Buddha, uh, the Bodhisattvas, and in our, in our lineage, even the Arahants. Then one duty monk will uh, will uh, pick up seven grains of rice, yeah? seven grains of rice from the offering, and then go out and part of the, uh, in a way like a ceremony, they will do the visualization. And you're supposed to visualize the seven grains of rice uh, multiplying to cover the full extent, yeah, infinite space. Yeah. So whenever I do the offering, I will actually do the that visualization. Yeah. So this is actually uh, found in various traditions. different uh, target groups. Yeah. One is the Da Teng Jing Si Niao, and the other one is Luo Cha Gui Shen Zhong. So uh, there are some sutras, uh, there, are, there are sutras behind the basis of that practice. Yeah. One, one is the Da Teng Jing Si Niao, which is what in Indonesia is called Garuda. Yeah. Garuda is Today we call it a myth mythical bird, right? but in the Buddha's time, supposedly people seem to talk about it like they really see it. Right? I put it across this way not because I believe or don't believe, but I can't remember like, even if I was a person back then, I can't remember it already. So I can only say that from the sutras, it seems to be described as though uh, people encounter such a bird on a daily basis. So. Uh, that that gigantic bird uh, has a like a almost like a natural enemy, which is the naga. So, but the naga learned the dharma, so start to practice. Uh, the bird also uh, like uh, in a way support the Buddha. So, but then they are natural enemies. How? So the nagas came to see the Buddha and asked for help, saying. Uh, this bird come and hit our children, you know. So the Buddha sort of intervened, intervened and uh, counsel the, the birds and say, you know, if, if you can like uh, not feed on the nagas, it'll be uh, good, uh, you know. Uh, so you don't kill the nagas. So then the birds like that. If I don't eat, then what do I eat? Yeah, so 
apparently in that in that account, then the Buddha advised the uh, supposedly the monks to say, okay, the monks will uh, share with you some of their food. So this practice today seems ceremonial, yeah, seems ceremonial because we just take seven rice, no? supposed to be a gigantic bird, then seven grains of rice, how? Um, this part, I cannot quite explain to you, but I have the conviction that if a person's mind uh, do the visualization, the trouble for most people is that our mind is very scattered. So in many of the of such similar ceremony where visualization is required, uh, it actually requires the person who is doing the visualization to be very focused. Uh, ideally, uh, if the person can go into some level of jhana or samadhi, yeah. Yeah. then when you do the visualization, it has that impact. Yeah. So it's not just think about it. Huh? Mm. I just think about it. <laughs> Uh, visualize the six realms. Uh, uh, <laughs> I usually don't visualize the realms itself. I, I just visualize the, the, the things that we are offering, and then to spend all with all uh, all space. Uh, and then it's just. tradition, uh, the, the lineage I'm with, when we do the food offering, is just the seven grains of rice. For the uh, for one, is the that bird. The other one is the luo cha gui shen zhong. So uh, that is the luo cha. It's the lower realm. Yeah, it's the lower realm. Yeah. So uh, the story is that that is a yaksha or a ghost yeah, uh, would go and steal would kidnap literally kidnap kids <laughs> yeah, and then go and eat them up so the Buddha uh, the Buddha in order to uh, uh, give give that being a teaching point hide <laughs> go and take the, the, that ghost or the yaksha's child yeah, so that that, one, that is a female one so wow, he was she was very anxious and high, high and low, and then finally come upon the Buddha, and the Buddha asked like, what happened to you? Like, why are you so like anxious and everything? You know, the Buddha know I still asked you know. Then the, the the being like, I, my my child my child disappeared. No, you you actually feel something of sort. <laughs> you feel how do you feel that way? Yeah yeah yeah. Then the Buddha then asked. So then, how do you think those parents of the children that you capture would feel? Ah, in that way, he, the person, that not person, the that yaksha or the uh, hungry ghost, not not kangkashi yaksha, uh, then felt remorse for 
then again, what if I don't eat, then uh, what, what do I eat? Okay, then again, uh, so sus come along. Yeah. yeah, so, but for water, spring of water, uh, usually for blessing ceremonies, yeah, blessing ceremonies, uh, as a, in a way, like a form of purification, but uh, I, from what I know, in the earlier days, if there's any sprinkling of water, today, if you look at Indian families, uh, they do spray water also, you know. Yeah, but from what I know, part of the practice actually comes from practical reasons. Because if you, if you spray water today in Singapore uh, on a hot day, you just spray on the ground, uh, it will lower the temperature very quickly. That's the first thing. The second thing is, it is uh, the second reason is not so applicable to Singapore now, because Singapore is not so dusty. In India, it is very dusty, very even sandy. It's not even dust; it's just sand all over. It's, it's just so much, you know. So when you spray water, it causes the dust and the sand to settle down and to cool down the place. Yeah. So I believe this practice started off in part because of that. By doing that, preparing the place in this way, then when people come and learn the Dharma, their mind can be you know, more settled. You know. uh, uh, many of our so-called rituals or, or ceremonies evolve from very practical practices, including offering of lights. In the past, it was literally offered so that people can see the Buddha. Yeah. Uh, today, it's more symbolic than anything. Uh, you have a question? Yeah, answer my question. Uh -huh. Okay. I wanted to ask, is this offering a pure symbolic gesture of our appreciation? So in the So the, the first thing I must highlight is uh, when we uh, let me 
any quote from uh, the Avatamsaka Sutra. There's this verse inside about doing offerings. Yeah. And also uh, from the, the, the Tirukachara Bhumisastra, which is also another Bodhisattva text, uh, both alludes to that the very, these very such practices uh, is about how the Bodhisattva, when he receives anything, uh, he cultivates that mindset that he do not possess or become attached to them, but that whatever he receives, he receives with the mindset that he's going to use it to dedicate to the Buddhas, to assist the Buddhas in this uh, path. Yeah. In other words, to again benefit sensitive things. So, um, having said that, uh, one may, and when I say that you're not the only one, when I was much younger, I'm like, oh, no, what is this? <laughs> Honestly. Uh, but over the over time, I start to appreciate that. Um, it is not so much that, oh, you know, every day we have to go and prepare mountains of, of offerings and so on. Yeah. Although, although some do uh, practice it to a certain degree, yeah, especially, say, in the Tibetan tradition, uh, part of their daily practice, if they are committed to do it, then every day, it may last one or two hours, you know, yeah, they prepare uh, the, the water offering, one whole roll, the, the oil offering, and some even go to the extent of getting the, the, the butter lamp. Yeah. And if you have ever seen butter lamp before, the fumes is massive. Yeah. Uh, so that's where I, I draw the line. Uh. I say uh, not necessary to die die get butter lamp. Uh, you know? Yeah. Uh? Uh, yeah. Butter lamp is king lamp. Uh. Yeah. Uh, so while some do that, I don't say that that's wrong also. <clears throat> uh, but all this description of the magnitude serve uh, one purpose that um, even in comparison with such worldly things of such massive quantity, uh, you do not, uh, you want to cultivate that mindset that you do not become attached to any of this. That in comparison with Bodhicitta, Bodhicitta is even more superior. Uh, this is the, the point of all these verses, the description of how massive it is. So, uh, it's, it's just like how, you know, when we describe uh, parents, that their gratitude is like the mountain. Doesn't mean that our parents, like, two different things are how to compare. You know? uh, but it's, uh, uh, it's in that context that this verses uh, phrase that thing. So, on a... Uh, but to bring it uh, back to our daily practices, then <coughs> I have, this is what I uh, suggested to students before. Uh, you can just do water offering, light and incense. Just three basic offerings. Uh, in the past, for many families, the mother is a housewife. 
then within your own capacity, some may be able to just buy some flowers to offer every day. But why flowers? The offering of flowers uh, is too prompt. Yeah? Uh, because again, this is more Indian culture. Yeah? Indian, uh, with heaps of flowers, many a garden submit. The Buddha said those verses. Why? Because in Indian culture, it's very common to give garlands of flowers. Today, when when do you receive garlands of flowers? When you are VIP. Yeah? Or if you go to a hotel in India, yeah, they want to make you feel good, or they give you a garland. Mm -hmm. yeah. Or when we die, then you get a garland. <laughs> yeah? you, you know what I mean? Uh, but so some of these practices uh, started off with the Indian culture. Yeah. But as Buddhism moved away from India, some of these uh, are fairly amiable. So we continue those practices, but with a Buddhist element in it, which is the reflection of impermanence. Reflection of impermanence. Uh, to reflect, and this also comes from the suttas about how you reflect that while these flowers today uh, is, is beautiful and blooming, but tomorrow or in a few days' time would wither and fade away. Likewise, this body of mind. So, uh, that's for flowers, water. Uh, water is simply water, but some use, use it as a visualization for purity. Uh, but usually the practice uh, is tied to incense. Uh, now, uh, let me say, say this uh, up front. While I explain to you the Buddhist way of doing it, I cannot deny that many Buddhists don't do it that way, including myself in the past. You know, when we offer incense, honestly, I remember, I, I shared with you all before, how I asked my father one day, Ma Kong Si Mia. Ma, what should I say? You know, then my mom told me, say this, <laughs> and you know what? When I shared it in class, many of them, yeah, yeah, my mom also said this. <laughs> how, how did you get organized, you know? <laughs> yeah, like last time there's no WhatsApp, no Facebook. How do you share this? You know? uh, I did this for many years. It's only recently that I realized that the offering of incense in Chinese culture and Taoism has a deeper meaning. For one, uh, it is that they, they, there's this belief that with the incense, the, the incense trail will bring your prayers to the heavens. Yeah. Uh, but then that has no basis in Buddhism at all. The yen, You mean when you burn the rawan, you take the rawan? You see, right? Yeah. 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 Yeah.
and maybe yeah around my teens right um, then my mom upgraded us you know besides burning incense uh, because at some point I took refuge then supposed to recite Namo Kwan Sin for 108 times every day before we go out then must recite basically the tree refuge so you know how I chant at first not so, not so familiar then after a while so at first it's Namo Kwan Sin for Sun Namo Kwan Sin for Sun after a while just can't wait for it to finish and get out of my life, you know, it's like... So, uh, I'm telling you this not because I'm proud of that, but in a way, I'm not entirely ashamed of that also. But it, when I do this reflection, I, I start to think like, well, if I start off that way, um, well, it's not the, the correct, correct way, but it got me started anyway, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So the important thing is, uh, even for that verse, there was a time I just didn't even say it. Yeah. But now when I think about it, it's actually the start of Buddhichitta. Because if you don't even feel kindness towards your family, then what more to talk about sentient things? You know? Uh, never mind the papa <laughs> yeah. yeah. But again, even the papa right? It, uh, it means that my father a big bastard. But to me, even that speaks of a simpler time. Speaks of a simpler time in Singapore in the maybe seventies or early eighties, yeah. When uh, you, you you don't think of very specific material things that you want this or you want that, that you just hope that your father, you know, like okay you know, yeah, bring it down, yeah. So it speaks of a simpler time, yeah, and. Uh, I would say that even then, with that as a basis, then uh, <coughs> it has laid the foundation for myself and many others to then learn the Dharma. Yeah. Uh, but um, the, 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 the practice of offering incense uh, started off as a way to, you know, like now there's the, I don't know, MVP or whatever, right? Said about incense was 
because it was already commonly uh, used and offered, the Buddha actually, in one of the sharing, he said that in this world, among all the incense that is made from the roots, the bark, the tree, the, and so on and so forth, uh, there's this incense that is more supreme. Uh, the, the scent spreads very far and uh, it's very subtle and so on. Then he further said that beyond this worldly scent, there's one which even supersedes it. And he says it is the scent of a person who cultivates such a person would have his reputation spread far and wide, further than any scent. Such a, such a person's good name will pass on generations after generations, long after the scent of any incense has, has faded away. So, um, he used this as a metaphor uh, to, to, to do a comparison and to encourage his disciples to do cultivation okay. So when we do the offering of incense, uh, it should be with this mindset. Uh, it should be with this mindset. But uh, human beings like ritual. <laughs> yeah. So that's why when students, in fact just recently, one student asked me, is it uh, okay if I just offer, uh, if I don't offer, don't know, lamp or something? Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. If you cannot offer, if it's not so possible for you to offer like lamp, then don't offer lamp. <coughs> yeah. If you offer lamp but you don't light up your bodhicitta, mm -hmm. then yeah. Or if you cannot offer incense but you practice uh, uh, the precepts and practice harmlessness, that's even better. If you don't want to offer anything, but you practice uh, mindfulness of your body, speech and mind, and you offer that, I think the Buddha will be much more happier than you fume him with all the incense. <laughs> It's just like when we we give money to our parents, they may not need it also. But it's a matter of expressing our gratitude towards them, our piety towards them. But a simple question is whether is Buddha aware that we are making offering to him. So when I think of all the small You're not wrong. No worries. 
Well, so the thing about Buddhism is uh, the, the, the practice of bowing down uh, or offering this or that uh, is not mandated. Yeah, it's not mandated. Uh, so, why do we still do it? Uh, for many people, doing it helps them to uh, helps them in some way. Yeah? Not simply to feel good, yeah, but it is to train up in this mindset. Uh, I I once give this example. When you uh, when you send a text to your friend to ask your friend how they are, or you send some cute cute icon or cake or uh, whatever. Or even nowadays, you take a picture of the food that you're eating and you share with them. Before they receive it, it has transformed this world. You. Yeah, it has transformed you first and foremost. So, uh, whether or not you... I mean, the question is very good. Yeah? Does a Buddha first of all need it? Uh, does a Buddha really use it or something, you know? Yeah. Uh, the truth is, the Buddha, you offer flowers, the flower will fade. Yeah. Uh, you offer food, drinks, the Buddha sculpture, if the, if, the, if the statue at night come out alive and then drink the water, I think we better run. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, <clears throat> a lot of the practices, it's really cultivating this mindset. So I'm very happy to hear that uh, you are cultivating the, the mindset directly. Yeah. If if uh, if I if someone were to ask me, Sufu, would you prefer if I do the daily offering, uh, offer flowers like this and that, uh, or if I take a flower and give it to my parents uh, who are alive? or I bring it to the hospital to give to patients. Yeah? Uh, I, I give the water to, to strangers who need the food, the, the drinks, or those who are poor. I give them food. Which is which would you be okay with? <coughs> Whichever one you feel comfortable. Yeah? Both are better than not doing it. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're doing Now even if any of you are not doing anything, Am I okay? Yeah, I'm okay. Uh, you are not the one who is not doing not me. <laughs> 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 uh, well, so, uh, thank you for asking this because some of there are, there are those who have been doing for years, but also wonder whether it's it's compulsory or not compulsory. Yeah. Yes. So. In current, we have this added level of meaning, which also has its basis in the suttas, where the Buddha uh, used the metaphor of light, uh, representing wisdom, and darkness, representing ignorance. So when we offer light, we are uh, basically making a, a, a determination to to bring light to this world. That means to uh, to cultivate wisdom, to act with wisdom. That is the, the, the proper mindset. Uh. Uh. 
Okay. Let me repeat what you said so that they can hear. She said that on Facebook, sometimes you see these like pictures uh, that says uh, when you offer like you allow the beings in the low realms, uh, the, 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 the three low realms, to have a chance to see the uh, pure land. Uh, offhand, I'm more inclined to think that this is some people's wishful thinking. Uh, it's one thing to say, uh, may this light, okay, if you offer with this mindset, may this light bring, uh, metaphor metaphorically, bring wisdom to the lower realms so that they can see the pure light, okay? It's just like uh, when you have a birthday celebration and then you uh, have, have, a, have a happy birthday, you know, uh, it is your wish. You can have any wish you want. I would say that that's a beautiful wish. But to translate that wish to a fact that, or you like a land, then lower realms can see the pure land, uh, that's a bit of a stretch. Uh, one thing, good, good that you mentioned that, uh, one thing about Facebook, anyone can post anything. Uh, unless there's a citation, uh, and unfortunately, most of these posts do not have proper citation. Now, I must say that even when there's a citation, we should understand it uh, with reference to the teachings. Yeah. Because, uh, and, and even more so if you, you, see, if you find some random uh, uh, pictures, which is very common now, yeah, and say all kinds of things. In this case, it's a beautiful thought, but um, I... I don't recall anywhere that says that you offer light, then you will do that uh, directly. Yeah. Uh, but in case if any of you have come across sutras with such uh, verses, uh, do let me know. Yeah. Then we can explore. But in the meantime, uh, good, good idea. <laughs> A nice talk. Any other questions or thoughts? Yes. Uh, there are some offerings that can be made by those who doesn't make much. Not sure. Uh, I mean, uh, materialism. Uh-huh. What's your question again? There are some kind of offerings that can be made. Uh-huh. And you're making a statement or asking a question? Asking a question. Okay. So she's asking, what are the kind of things that someone who is uh, like materially or financially not so capable, what are the things that such a person can offer? Yeah. So um, one is, as I mentioned uh, earlier, visualization. Uh, but if you are if you want to do it on a daily basis, offering of water, I think uh, just get a small cup, do an offering of water. I once heard this uh, teaching about how as we do this practice daily, it cultivates in us this willingness to care and to give. Yeah. Now, uh, it's not suggesting that for people to stop all kinds of other kind of giving and just do this, because then that will defeat the whole purpose. Yeah. And similarly to what Louis uh, has shared, if you are 
already able to give without doing this practice, yeah, what the problem is. Yeah. Uh, but I must also end the session by highlighting one other thing, which is that when we do this offering, uh, just as when you uh, when people remember their departed uh, family members and so on, we have different ways of expression. The key thing about doing an offering is that you consider this person or this entity worthy of gifts. Uh, and this is one of the key mindset. Uh, it's one thing to say the statue, you don't have to offer something to the statue. Yeah, I'm totally with you to say statue don't need offering uh, but the statue represents uh, enlightenment yeah. so similarly a piece of cloth hanging on a pole one must use a little bit uh, but it's because of the design of the cloth yeah. if the design has red on top white below and a crescent moon <laughs> with five stars uh, it's not just a piece of cloth it's the national flag it represents our country and what we stand for and that's why we started to it and that's why we face it when it's the national anthem is being sung so when we, when we do that uh, you may say but we don't bow down to it salutation and bowing down is the same thing it's paying off reverence to it yeah. so when we do that it's not to the piece of cloth it's what it stands for of course in primary school we, we just <laughs> you know uh, but the deeper meaning is that so okay not to offer to stone statues yeah, uh, but the, the behind the offering is the recognition that the Buddha uh, being enlightened is worthy of our veneration and gifts uh, uh, and with that let's put our thoughts together